Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Since the beginning, we have needed rescue. Then God became flesh and blood. Dying on the cross and defeating the grave so that we may be saved. This is the fourth Sunday of Easter and the fourth week of our current five-week message series for the season of Easter. We're calling this series Victory because Easter celebrates victory. Jesus' victory, his win over death, as well as our redemption. As we've seen, redemption is compensation. Compensation for faults or failures of something. We use the word redeemed when an experience or exercise was difficult or disappointing, but then turns out all right in the end. A good outcome, a happy ending, a great reversal can make up for a whole lot of difficulties or disappointments. In our heart of hearts, we all want to be redeemed because we all know we're not perfect. Sometimes we're far from perfect, and that's a problem because we all want to be liked and loved. We long to become something more than we are now. Throughout history, theologians and philosophers have all taught the same thing. I must do more. I must do more to make me right. I am not now who I could be or should be. I must do more. And as we've already noted, the difficulty with that perspective, when the challenge or problem with you is you, then how are you supposed to fix you? Christianity offers another way forward. Because that desire we have in our hearts, that desire to be liked and loved, it's not unique to you or me. It's actually given to us 
by God. And ultimately, it points to a desire to know and love him, to be pleasing to the Lord. This is precisely where Jesus' life, death, and resurrection come in. Jesus lived a perfect life. In a way, we can't. Each day, in every way, in every moment of his life, he obeyed his Father in a way we don't. He lived a perfect life, perfectly pleasing to God, and that puts us back in right relationship with God. God accepts his life on our behalf. That's redemption. His victory can redeem us and make our stories success stories. We see this in the story of the early church. The first friends and followers of Jesus were very flawed individuals. That's for sure. However, Jesus chose them, flaws and all, to lead his church. Over the course of this series, we've been taking a closer look each week at a few of those first followers, their specific faults and flaws, as well as the change and transformation, the redemption that took place in their lives as Christ followers. Two weeks ago, we took a look at Thomas and how Thomas overcame pessimism, skepticism, and doubt to become the most prolific of the apostles. Last week, we discussed Peter, who was redeemed from the seemingly unforgivable sin of betraying Jesus to go on to be the leader of the apostles. And today, we're going to take a look at Saul of Tarsus, better known as Paul. If you're a hard-charging, type-A, action-oriented, tightly-wound kind of gal or guy, then Paul is the saint for you. This type of personality is usually referred to as choleric. At their best, they're ambitious, driven, independent. At their worst, they can be bad-tempered, even grumpy, all of which perfectly describes Paul. We know more about Paul and his story than most of the people we meet in the Bible. Paul was born in a city in the Roman Empire called Tarsus, modern-day south-central Turkey. Tarsus was a thriving city in Paul's day, a city of culture and politics, philosophy and industry. Paul was probably raised in a fairly affluent, educated Jewish family who were also Roman citizens, which meant that they enjoyed certain perks and privileges in society. Paul completed his education in Jerusalem, studying under the most famous rabbi of the day. He was fluent in Greek as well as Aramaic. As an adult, he was in the business of tent making, which was a very lucrative business at the time. All of which is to say, he could not have been more different than the other apostles, most of whom came from very modest backgrounds and were largely uneducated. Paul was also a Pharisee, a sect within Judaism at the time, distinguished by strict observance to the traditions and laws of the faith, and commonly held to have pretensions of 
superior sanctity, which certainly describes Paul before his conversion. But even in the extreme party that was the Pharisees, Paul was an extremist, a perfectionist, and a zealot. Paul became the leading figure in a movement of radical obedience to the ancient Jewish codes, proselytizing other Jews to their approach and discouraging deviations by all means possible up to and including violence. We see this eventually played out in Paul's life when he oversees the execution of St. Stephen, the first Christian martyr. The first Christians, like Stephen, were all Jewish, and so when they started teaching that the Messiah had come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who had been crucified at the instigation of the Jewish leaders, that was not very well received by the Jewish leaders. Paul participates in the execution of Stephen, which sets off a string of persecutions of the whole Christian community in Jerusalem. To escape this persecution, much of the community fled elsewhere. In his zeal, Paul goes after them. He hunts them down. And here's what happened along the way. A light from the sky suddenly flashed around Paul. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Paul asked. He said in reply, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Obviously, his heart is changed on the spot. He instantly becomes a Christ follower, but not everything initially went as you might expect. Paul was more or less forced to live in obscurity for the next 10 years because the Christian community didn't want to have anything to do with him. They didn't trust him. And why would they? This must have been a difficult decade for Paul. He was an ambitious young man, a go-getter. Until his conversion, he had been somebody significant, a rising star in the Pharisees' party. After his conversion, he's held in contempt by his former friends and in suspect by the Christian community. In part, Paul's exile was a punishment. But doubtless, it was also a time God was using to relieve him of his arrogance and intolerance, to ground him in his new Christian faith and to prepare him for his upcoming ministry activity. He remained in obscurity until a prominent Christ follower named Barnabas teams up with him to serve a bold new vision, to take Christianity beyond the Christian community in Jerusalem to other Christian communities elsewhere in the Roman Empire. They began in the Roman city of Pisidian Antioch, also in Turkey. And here's what happened there. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and took their seats. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent word to them, my brothers, if one of you has a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So in synagogue services, at that time, it was often the custom to invite visitors to speak. Jesus himself gave his first sermon at just such an invitation in the synagogue in Nazareth. 
Paul takes this moment as an opportunity to begin to give expression to what proves to be a deep reservoir of insight into Jesus Christ, which obviously he had built up in prayer and reflection over the previous 10 years of his exile. In fact, Paul must have felt that he'd been preparing for this kind of moment his whole life long. His studies in the Jewish law and scripture, his newfound Christian faith, and the original insight he had formed about that faith in his exile all came together in a brilliant new synthesis that no one else had yet discovered. Paul's teaching was simply groundbreaking. It was simply extraordinary, totally changing how Jesus Christ and his teaching would be presented to the world for the rest of history. He was going to tell the story of ancient Israel in a way that everyone would recognize. Abraham, Moses, Exodus, David, the exile, the prophets, the story everybody knew, but with a conclusion nobody had seen coming. You can read the whole speech, it won't take you long, in the 13th chapter of Acts of the Apostles. It provides a neat, complete overview of Israel's history and how it's all anticipatory of Jesus. Well, Paul was invited back to that same synagogue the following week, but not everyone was pleased to see him again. On the following Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and with violent abuse contradicted Paul. So whereas the first week Paul had spoken freely and at length, the second time around his detractors heckle him and shout him down. Paul's reaction, Paul's reaction is incredibly important here. It's actually critically important to the development of Christianity. This next verse is actually critically important to the development of Christianity in history. Both Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, but since you rejected, we now turn to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may be instruments of salvation to the ends of the earth. This was simply amazing. And not just because the first followers of Jesus were all Jewish and had never even imagined that the Christian movement would grow beyond their family of faith. And if not for Paul, it probably wouldn't have. But also, think about this. Paul had grown up in a strictly observant Jewish household. He had become a, a radical-style Pharisee who was dedicated to separating himself not only from non-believers, but even from other Jews who were not as strictly observant and ultra-Orthodox as he was. And now... And now he's going to dedicate his life and his life's work to bringing the gospel to people he had previously despised, the non-Jewish community. And look at the effect. Look at what happened. 
The Gentiles were delighted when they heard this and glorified the word of the Lord. Many came to believe, and the word of the Lord continued to spread throughout the region. Paul's story is first and foremost the story of redemption. It's the story of God using Paul's strength, correcting his faults and failures. God redeems Paul from his anger and intolerance, his perfectionism and self-righteousness, even from his obscurity and exile. And God uses Paul's ability and ambition, his intellect and tenacity, his courage and resolve for a mighty victory, opening up the message of the gospel to the whole world. Frankly, the only reason we're here this morning is because of Paul's decision to do that. So, what do you think? Is there anything in Paul's story that resonates with you, with your story? What victory does God have going forward for you? Maybe there are people or a class of people you've developed a hard heart towards. It's true. Is there some way that you could serve them instead? Or maybe you could take another look at your perfectionist tendencies, and I'm speaking to myself here, and develop a few deliberate habits to discipline yourself when it comes to perfectionism. Maybe you feel you're in a kind of in-between time. You're capable of more, but you've been sidetracked. Could you perhaps spend some time in your quiet time this week considering how God might be using this time? God might be using this time to prepare you for what's next. Or maybe Maybe you're a person of great ambition. And today you see in Paul's story, you can see that God wants you to use your ambition for higher purposes, for his purposes. You've been working for some other purpose and it's time to use your drive, your ambition, your get it done now approach to build God's kingdom in our generation. Maybe you're called to work here at Nativity. We're actually currently hiring. We have numerous job openings listed on our website. Just take a look at the Our Team tile on our home page. End of advertisement. Your Redeemer died on the cross. He rose from the dead and now lives in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection gives us a fresh start, a new beginning and proves that our past faults and failures can not only be forgiven, they can be forgotten. They can be redeemed. 